It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day, in the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount Plus. Welcome in Lake Kick is live. It is Sunday night, October 10th, year of our Lord, 2021. Jam-packed, almost to the point of being loaded. We're coming off what I am affectionately referring to as the greatest Saturday in the history of my life. And if you're a college football fan and you had access to a television yesterday, or you were fortunate slash blessed enough to be at one of these games in person like we were, sporting a sunburn as evidence no less, They'll be talking about this one for a long time. I am a firm believer. Director Colin and I could leave right now and start a documentary um, firm. That's what you want to call it. We could make a great documentary, could we, about yesterday. Uh, From start to finish, from dawn until dusk, incredible football all over the place. I mean, what would you do if you went and bought five or six lottery tickets and they all hit? That's what we felt like yesterday. I'm going to have full reaction, as usual, on Sunday. It's Rapid Reaction Sunday. We were at Oklahoma, Texas. I'll talk more about it in a second. I have a lot of things to say about that. Alabama goes down at the hands of Texas A&M. I was on a plane watching that last night, which in and of itself is a pretty unique experience. Some of you know what it's like to be in a large public setting when Alabama loses a game. Doesn't happen very often. I don't know what that's like because I'm normally at the biggest games when they actually have a shot at losing, and I wasn't last night. So that was an experience for your boy. We will talk about that. I've got a ton of games to discuss. Um, Also... We've got the Renaissance Tour Week 7 to reveal in just a second, and I don't necessarily know that we're going the direction a lot of you think we're going to go. In fact, over the next two weeks, not to give anything away, except that's what we do on the Sunday night show, we may be going different routes than you think we're going to go. Got some early best bets tonight. As I said, we're going to show you in just a second where the Renaissance Tour is headed in Week 7. Also, and I can't stress this enough, I know some of you are on Twitter and you don't do Instagram. I know some of you are on Instagram and you don't do Twitter. There are reasons to be on both, even if it's just starting a burner account so you can follow our show, at Late Kick Josh. But I would strongly encourage you, if you've ever been on the fence about opening an Instagram account, do it just so you can watch what I put on there yesterday. In fact, all the games I go to and all the behind-the-scenes stuff that I shoot for you, I put it up in the story. Of course, you can watch that for 24 hours. But then I archive it, and I put it as its own little story highlight. You see it right there. There's a whole line of them for every game that I've been to. Go check out the story highlight from yesterday. I cannot stress in strong enough terms how perfectly we were positioned on the field for so many of those big plays. It was touchdown after touchdown after touchdown. And I don't know how, but we just ended up being right there in front of like every single one of them virtually. Also got some good FaceTime with Bevo yesterday. So you're going to want to go check that out. Incredible. Turn the sound all the way up. Don't do it around anyone else. Just go experience it for yourself. At Late Kick Josh. That's where you want to be. Okay, so I had a great time in Dallas. I'm going to talk a lot about that in just a second. Also, uh, if you are starting to get used to the flow of things, you know on the Late Kick Extra podcast on Tuesday morning, I'll go in really great detail that we don't have time to do on the Sunday night show about all that we experienced. And boy, did I have some experiences. Even the day before the game, last night, it was a chore and a half to get out of Dallas. Some of our employees are still in Dallas. Stuck there until tomorrow because of things totally outside of our control. Uh, So that's the world of aviation for you. But wow, what a weekend. Okay, so before I get to breaking down this next weekend, and before we certainly look back on this past weekend, I want to ask you, where would you go? If you ran the Renaissance Tour, where would you go this Saturday? Because we got game day going to Athens. I think SEC Nation is going to Athens for the record. We did strike a last-minute truce with College Game Day. They did reach over the aisle. Herbie, to his credit, Kirk Herbstreet, put out a very, very strong endorsement of the show. And so with that, there were no late kick signs on game day. And I was standing behind the set when they moved it in the stadium yesterday. So I myself was positioned where we could have gone full-on torpedo mode, but we did not. But having said that, all the actions headed to Athens Saturday. So where would you head for the Renaissance Tour. 
And I was looking earlier today because I kind of put that out and I was asking, where would you go? And a lot of you said that one, but a lot of you had varying degrees of different responses. So let me tell you, I want to lead the show with it. We're not going to wait until later in the show. Let me tell you where we're going Saturday. We can go ahead and roll it, in fact, if we want to. So the line on the Georgia-Kentucky game is 23, Colin, 24 and a half. The line on the Ole Miss-Tennessee game is three and a half. The total is 80. I have not been to Neyland Stadium for the better part of a decade, it seems like. We're going to Ole Miss-Tennessee Saturday night. It's a 7.30 Eastern kick. It's on SEC Network. I was talking to someone close to the Tennessee program earlier today, and I know that it was a good win yesterday, uh, but the house was not full. Early kickoff, people still on the fence about Josh Heupel. Well, you don't need to be on the fence anymore. Dive in. Sell Neyland Stadium out Saturday night. If for no other reason, then we're going to be in town. But in all seriousness, it's a good team. They are overachieving. It's going to be a high-quality product Saturday night, and we will be there. The Renaissance Tour, for the first time, is headed to Neyland Stadium. Very, very excited for that. Have not seen Tennessee in person this year. And to be real with you, I did not think I was going to have a reason to see Tennessee in person this year. But... I mean, I'm so sold on it, I actually brought the orange Pate State Thermos and I put it on the desk. So that's how sold we are on Tennessee right now. Uh, it's crazy what a win over Missouri and a win over, or win over South Carolina will do for confidence. Okay, so that's this coming weekend. Wow, what a Saturday. Let's dive into this. We got a long way to go. There's no prayer. We're keeping the show under an hour tonight. But I'm going to talk like an auctioneer and try to do it anyway. Texas A&M, 41. Alabama, 38. Why do societies make such a big deal about competitors? Why do societies, especially ours, and doubly especially in sports, why do we lionize competitors so much? Why do you talk about those alpha types so much? Well, in my opinion, the reason I've always looked up to supreme competitors and the reason I've always sort of lionized those alpha type A's is not because they just achieve a whole lot. To me, the true mark of those high-level competitors is how differently they respond to adversity than a normal person. Or if you're talking organizationally, how different those elite organizations respond to any kind of adversity than normal organizations would. And it was on display everywhere yesterday. And there was no better example of it than College Station. There was no better example of the way a competitor and an organization with competition in the DNA, how they respond to adversity. This game, I'm including myself in this, was so overlooked that we didn't even do a breakdown on it last week. I mean, preseason, we thought it was going to be the game of the year in the SEC. Uh, actually, it turned out to maybe be the game of the year in the SEC. But real talk here, I work for CBS. We reallocated some of our coverage yesterday. People thought this was going to be a blowout. I thought it was going to be a blowout. I mean, I was very surprised by this. I was very taken aback by it. I wasn't surprised Bama ended up losing a game. I was surprised it was this one. And look at that aerial shot. I had several of you that sent me actual, you know, point of view videos from being on the field after the game. That was incredible. There were so many crowd stormings yesterday. I was a part of one. We had that one. We had Penn State, Iowa. But man, what a job by Jimbo Fisher. That's the first thing I'm going to start with. Everyone wants to talk about why Bama lost. And we can do that. But part of the reason they lost is because they got beat. There was a team that played better than them. They got beat. I don't care if they didn't get outgained. I don't care about all that stuff. I do to a degree. But it's a football game. Like, there are more than one or two ways to skin the cat. You don't always have to outgain someone on the ground. You got to be more opportunistic. You use your home crowd when you can. But Texas AM found a way to win a game. It's the first Alabama loss since that Iron Bowl in 2019. I was there the last two times Bama lost, actually. And I remember that Iron Bowl. And what was crazy was Nick Saban in his post game, he doesn't really have notes in front of him, especially on those road games. He knew. He not only knew it had been 19 games since they lost. He was also able to recall the last time we won 19 games in a row, we went on the road to South Carolina and we lost one, and that was in 2010. He just recalled that. No one asked that specific question. He just recalled that. But it's something to witness, really, when you, when you watch an organization like Texas A&M kind of get sold down the river. No one expected anything. And if you're telling me otherwise, I think you're lying. But their fan base did. Or at the very least, their fan base was willing to buy in because they sold that place out last night. Uh, it was a marquee environment. Talk to some folks from Alabama if you don't believe that. But they got off the deck. It's a reminder, I think, about Jimbo Fisher to the rest of college football. He didn't go anywhere. There's so much volatility in the opinion market week to week in college football. You know, the beginning of a season, Jimbo Fisher's a quarterback whisperer. Uh, you got your starting quarterback go down. Zach Calzada doesn't immediately light the world on fire and insert himself into the Heisman conversation. So therefore... 
Jimbo Fisher's kind of overrated as a quarterback whisperer. Well, now what is he? Because three weeks into the Zach Calzada era, did he look like the quarterback last night you saw a couple of weeks ago against Arkansas? Or for that matter, uh, the Mississippi State game? He didn't to me. And it's not just happenstance. It's not just luck. I mean, there were some, there were some things that broke Texas A&M's way last night. But Jimbo Fisher got really detailed in the postgame. And I, I really don't even think he emphasized enough how hard that staff had to work. Number one, to get their team where it needed to be mentally, but to get Zach Calzada as a quarterback to be where he needed to be. And Jimbo Fisher broke it down in a way that only Jimbo Fisher can. And if you think I talk fast, you ought to listen to him break something down. But I don't think most people can appreciate how hard of a task it's been, given what the last two weeks included, to get that team to play at the level they did last night. Absolutely, it was their Super Bowl. But see, there are a lot, a lot of teams play Alabama. And it's a lot of teams' Super Bowl. Not all of them play to that level. Texas A&M found a way to last night. But they, they really handled Calzada well. A lot of motion, pre-snap. They moved the pocket. He was never a sitting duck for too long. I don't think Alabama had a sack on him last night. How about that offensive line, by the way? Texas A&M's offensive line is supposed to be the reason that they were ultimately going to sputter and then fall, and it has not been an offensive line to write home about much this year. But last night, they gave up four tackles for loss, no sacks, one penalty. A lot of quick passes, a lot of motions, a lot of stuff to get Zach Calzada in a position to make plays. And then on that point, it's, it's on his shoulders, and he made plays. This is how Alabama loses, though. I mean, this is, this is the formula. Unless it's just one of those freak occurrences, um, and I say freak in a sense that statistically it's an anomaly, like the 2018 title game against Clemson. Uh, they got beat like 44-16 or something like that. Outside of that kind of game, this is the way it happens. If you're going to beat Alabama, uh, you got you to drop some balls in a bucket that only your guys can catch. you got to have some turnover things go your way. But it's, it's a hot quarterback, and it's a Super Bowl performance. And that's what we got from Texas A&M last night. But I think it surprised a lot of people, and it surprised me too. Saban had a good comment post-game. You know, he talked a lot this week, and it wasn't made a great big deal of because no one believed this could happen, but he is keenly aware, because he's dealt with this for years, that a team's record or their ranking doesn't mean anything if they play you at a top-10 level on any given day. And a team that has enough talent, and Texas A&M certainly does, is capable of putting together a top 10 caliber performance on any given day. It doesn't matter if they have two losses or four losses. The fact is, you're not dealing with the four loss caliber team. You're dealing with a team that's playing out of its mind right now. The scoreboard doesn't care that Texas A&M had lost a couple of games. Scoreboard only cares about that day. And last night, like A&M did things they didn't do, obviously the past two weeks. But the vulnerabilities Alabama showed are not in and of themselves shocking. What are we talking about here? We're talking about an ultra-young offensive team that has had its two worst performances in the two toughest road environments that they faced at Florida, at Texas A&M. That's not shocking. It's shocking because you're not used to seeing Alabama lose or struggle in a win. But in and of itself, that's not shocking. I will say this, though. I think differently about Alabama today, I have found, than even a lot of the Bama fans out there do. Because I still look at Alabama and I say, yeah, that team can still win a national championship. The problem with gauging Alabama, as I've told you a hundred times on this show, is people do not hold Bama to the same standard they hold the rest of the teams in college football to. In your mind, maybe not you, but in a lot of people's minds and their subconscious, they do not hold Bama to the standard that they hold the rest of the teams in America to. What they do is they compare Bama to past Bama teams. You look at this team, it's not as good as the 2020 team. And so what do you say in your mind? You say, oh, I'm downgrading them. Well, Bama doesn't have to play the 2020 Bama team. Who they'll ultimately have to play in all likelihood is 2021 Georgia or 2021 you know, Ohio State if they were to get into the playoffs or whatever. They can beat all those teams. I, I know, like for instance, last week I got criticized because I told you neither Alabama nor Georgia are invincible teams. They're being presented as that, but they are not that. They're very good. They are the best in their class, but they are not invincible. Well, last night Bama went down. Now there's a crowd out there that is going to make bigger fools of themselves, and they're going to trap themselves into the corner of convincing themselves Georgia's invincible. Georgia's not either. Georgia could lose a game too. Just because they don't look like they can doesn't mean it can't happen. Because they've got teams coming up on their schedule that you're looking at, and you're saying, well, based on what I've seen from them, they can't beat Georgia. What if you don't get a performance on that given day that you've seen from them so far? 
So with Bama, yeah, they can still win things. I'm very interested to see what they do with their rotations moving forward. Because I'll tell you what I don't think they can do. What I don't think they can do is win a national championship playing the same cats they're playing right now. They just brought in the highest rated recruiting class of all time. Not enough of those kids are playing. And some of them are good enough to. I'm not at practice every day. I'm giving you my slightly informed hunch that a lot of them are good enough to. And here's part B of that hunch. They got Mississippi State coming up, and then they're going to get to a bye week. I have an inclination to believe coming out of that bye week, some of those younger guys in the secondary, some of those younger guys at receiver, you're going to end up seeing them. Some of those younger guys maybe in that linebacking core that you haven't heard a whole lot from so far this year, maybe even on the right side of the offensive line, I think you're going to see some of them. I don't think in good conscience that coaching staff, Nick Saban, obviously chief among them, can watch that film today and say, those are the guys, to a man, that we're going to continue to go into battle with. I get loyalty. I completely understand when all things are equal, you go with the senior or you go with at least the veteran, the guy who's got experience. I don't think all things are equal. I think some of their better players are younger players. I think they know that. There's no convenient time sometimes to make the switch, but this is the same guy who changed quarterbacks halftime of national title game. So, I mean, stands to reason, I, I think if, if that's true, if what I think is actually happening with that team, I think they're going to have to make some moves there. Um, but I think they can still win a title. Every goal they have is in front of them. It removes the margin for error. Uh, there is no guy better in this sport at using losses as ammunition than Nick Saban. Having said that, they have work to do. And I do believe a lot of you out there who have long been beating the drum about moving on from Pete Golding, I think you're going to get your wish after this season. So those are some takeaways, both on the negative and somewhat positive side. But this wasn't a Bama game. This was a Texas A&M game. Make no mistake about it. That was a Texas A&M game. And young teams struggle on the road. They only struggle if you take advantage of it. Texas A&M took advantage of it. But I told you last night, I had a really weird situation watching this game. So after OU Texas, which I'm about to talk about in parade detail, I go to the airport, which is its own story. But I was on a flight last night watching this game because at least the Wi-Fi worked. But I was watching Alabama lose, and I don't know what that's like. A lot of people don't know what it's like to watch Bama lose. They rarely do. But what I'm telling you is, Anytime Bama loses, they're playing a really good team. And over the course of the last several years, if Bama's playing a really good team, I've been at the game. So I know on the field what it's like, but I don't know what it's like to be at a sports bar or a restaurant or on an airplane around other people in a social setting. But I was in it last night. Even on an airplane somewhere over Arkansas, you had a packed 737 and you had everyone's laptops open including a flight attendant sitting next to me that was just en route to somewhere she had to work today. And she was freaked out of her mind. And the whole plane, it was, I, was to, I told Colin, watching Alabama lose in a social setting is like watching 4th of July fireworks. It just brings everyone together. It's, it's really a crazy occurrence, and I don't see it enough. I have forgotten how polarizing that Alabama brand is nationally. It is truly a New York Yankees college football situation. Everyone on that plane ends up erupting, cheering, and they're all wearing headphones. So it's like if you weren't watching the game and all of a sudden people started cheering, I don't know, I don't know what you could have thought was going on, but man, that was kind of weird. Very surreal. Couldn't have scripted it. It just happened that way. Uh, so I've got several more games to talk about. Uh, hang tight. Man, what a day though. Yesterday in Dallas. So I get there and sure enough, wall to wall, for as far as the eye can see, of course, we're at the state fair at Texas. So you've got the academy tents all over the parade grounds. Some of them were for tailgating and some of them were just for attractions. But I had people actually for the first time in person coming up to me yesterday and talking about having purchased from Academy Sports because of the show. Now that is music to my ears. It's music to the ears of our friends at Academy Sports and Outdoors. Here's the whole premise. And it, this is the whole premise that I need to give you. There's nothing behind the scenes. We do not load this show up with sponsors, as you can see. If that were the case, this white cup on set would be replaced with someone's logo. I mean, the, what, what logo do we have up here? Colin, we got, we got a logo we made up for a university we made up and the college football playoff over there because they gave it to us for free. We don't slap a whole lot of stickers on this thing. There's one, and it's because they're loyal to us, they're really good to us, and we love the relationship with them, and we believe in what they do. Otherwise, we wouldn't let them on the show. Academy Sports and Outdoors, though, has everything that you need. I see you guys every Saturday. I know what you're out there with. 
I know what you throw around at the tailgate before the game. I know what you have on your back. I know what you're grilling that food on. I know what you're hiding under to hide from the sun or the rain. It's all at Academy Sports and Outdoors. And so continue to live your life exactly how you are. Just alter your purchasing decisions away from some of those other brands, which aren't to be mentioned on this program, and just redirect flow over to Academy Sports and Outdoors. And if you can't get to a store in person, just visit academy.com. Academy Sports and Outdoors, though, the official outdoor sporting goods supplier of not only Late Kick, but they got the SEC, they got the Big 12, so it's the place to go. Do yourself a favor. You'll be glad you did. And then screenshot the receipt and send it to me, because they like that, too. I have to take a couple of deep breaths before I talk about the next game. Thank you all, by the way, for uh, being in the live chat. Sometimes I don't look over at the screen. So, hey, guys. I waved at you, but you, you, can, you can see that clearly. Um, wow, what do I say? Okay, so let's just dive into it. Oklahoma beats Texas in an all-time classic Red River shootout yesterday, 55-48. to 48. I caved a little bit. I got to tell you, I was doing pre- and post-game hits on CBS Sports HQ, and I called it the Red River Showdown. And for that, I apologize, because this was a shootout of epic proportions. This is the best college football game I've ever seen in person. It's right there at the top of the list. I don't have to really wait to marinate on that. It is the best college football game I've ever seen in person. It is one of, if not the very best, college football atmospheres and settings I've ever seen. I was telling Director Colin before the show, I said, Colin, I've been to a lot of big games. We go to the, probably the biggest one or one of the biggest ones in the country every week. I get to be in person to see the best that college football has to offer. Sometimes you go to an event, and either because of the game being lopsided, or just the event itself being overhyped, or the stadium and venue being overhyped, it doesn't quite live up to it. It's good, but it doesn't quite measure up. The Red River Shootout and the Cotton Bowl there in Dallas for this game, even though it's really, really hyped nationally, I still think it's underrated. After what I saw yesterday and what I experienced, I really think it's still underrated. There's not a better setting in college football. I don't know what else to tell you. The people who have been to the game know what I'm talking about. Everything's just great. Everything's just perfect. The way it's set up, uh, the 50-50 crowd split, the fact that there are no luxury suites in the stadium means you don't see a single sweater vest, you don't see a single bow tie, it's 92 degrees, people are pouring sweat, but it's diehard college football fans. It's not corporate. The last word anyone would have used yesterday is corporate. To the point, I kid you not, where midway through the second quarter, when Texas scored one of like 17 touchdowns they did in the first half, I looked to my left, and they're cheerleaders. I looked to my right, Mark Cuban standing next to me. That's how it can happen sometimes there. Just a random billionaire standing next to you. Why? Because there's no suite for him to be in. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And then the game happens. And the game, like I said, got to be the best I've ever seen in person. Seen multiple national championship games, multiple conference championship games, It doesn't get better than yesterday. And if you watched, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you haven't watched, if you were watching other games yesterday, if your team was playing and you were just getting score updates, which must have looked like a video game, by the way, this was not, to me, one of those classic no defense being played anywhere, cheap points after cheap points. It wasn't that kind of game. True enough, Texas folded. In some cases, accordion style defensively in the second half, but it was still there to be had, and Oklahoma took it. Such a classic game. So let's dive in. It's one you don't analyze. Yesterday, I was talking to Hakeem Dermish on CBS Sports HQ for the post game. I said, I know the tendency is to analyze and to talk about this big play or this big player. But these kinds of games, I don't know. You can say that, hey, uh, Spencer Rattler gets benched and Caleb Williams goes off. And boy, that's a huge story I'm about to talk about. But there were so many people who went off. I mean, hats off to Kennedy Brooks. After that Bijan Robinson talk, and he fulfilled on that, by the way, yesterday did Bijan Robinson, one of the most incredible runs you'll ever see. But after hearing that talk all week, and after hearing people all season accurately tell you that Oklahoma's ground game and offensive line hadn't quite lived up to preseason expectation, Kennedy Brook just went off, including putting the nail in the coffin at the end of the game, had over 200 on the ground. Hats off to him. On the other side, Xavier Worthy, that's a kid we talked about for several shows in August, getting you ready. In fact, we said specifically about his name. In big Texas games, you're going to hear the name Xavier Worthy because that's the guy that gives them the best deep threat potential. He was committed to Michigan, couldn't get in up there. Long story, but long story short, he's at Texas now. He is the closest thing to being the embodiment of the skill set that Sark had at Alabama. 
Texas folks know this. The nation knows it now. He had, what, nine catches for over 250 yesterday, two touchdowns, had an unfortunate special teams play, but that's a true freshman, just walked in the door, didn't even plan on playing for Texas initially, and what a weapon he was. So he goes off. I mean, you got, I think, Casey Thompson, if he hadn't already confirmed it in everyone's mind, doubly and triply stamping the idea that that's his job. So he went off yesterday. But the story, obviously, was Spencer Rattler starting, Spencer Rattler getting shook again by a moment too big for him, and Spencer Rattler getting benched, and Caleb Williams coming in much to the delight, and I can't stress this enough, the supreme delight of Oklahoma fans and his team, body language, important, read it every now and then, and he won the game for him. And not only did he win the game, this wasn't this wasn't even. This wasn't apples to apples. They were down by 18 multiple times were the Oklahoma Sooners. Uh, I, I could not be any more impressed. And so there are a lot of things, a lot of different ways you can go with this. But I think the thing to take away is, to me, this is an entirely new Oklahoma team now. Make no mistake, when you have that kind of confluence of events happen, when you come all the way back in a game of this magnitude, when you've played close games before this year that may have given your organization reason to doubt itself internally a little bit, and then you get down to the degree they were and you come back and you do it with your backup quarterback, who absolutely is now the nucleus of your program and the starter moving forward, or at least he better be, and then a team that is very talented realizes what it's capable of, you might as well have flipped a switch. You might as well have called yesterday week one for Oklahoma. Because my hunch is moving forward, I'm not telling you they're going to win a national title. I'm telling you the new version of Oklahoma, the team you'll see moving forward, is going to be a whole lot more likely to fulfill on that immense preseason expectation, number one hype, than the version we had seen so far. That's the kind of stuff that totally switches a season and turns it on its ear, what you saw Oklahoma do yesterday. Those experiences, by the way, are so much better for you down the road than winning a blowout, 42-10. to 10. In the moment, everyone wants to win comfortably. But ask the championship teams, the ones that have ended up getting it done at the end, that have crossed the finish line, and they'll tell you some of the most important lessons and some of the most critical parts of the DNA that ended up making up the identity of this program, they were forged in knife fights. Games that maybe we had no business being close in, but had to find a way to win, or maybe instant classics like the one Oklahoma played in yesterday, however you achieve it. When teams can taste their own blood and then get off the deck, like we were talking about with AM, being a competitor and a supreme competitor at that, you just handle adversity differently. The great ones out there handle it differently. Most folks aren't great. Most teams aren't great. That's why most teams would have folded yesterday. Oklahoma didn't, and it's going to pay dividends for them down the road. Now, there are a couple of different angles you can go at with Texas, too, because I took away a lot of positive. It's the first year for Steve Sarkeesian. Great pair of pants he wore into that place yesterday, by the way. But you can look at it one of two ways. You can say, it was great to see them get off to a fast start, which is true. It was great to see them go on the offensive. It was great to see the moment, well, at least at the beginning, not be too big for them. All that is true. Like They validated a lot of what you hope the future of Texas football will be yesterday. But I was over on Horns 24-7, and I was reading Mike Roach's stuff. And he made a good point, and it's harsh, but I do think it's valid, and I do think it's accurate. That was a choke job by Texas in the second half of that game. As much accolades as you want to throw around, or as many accolades as you want to throw around for the first half, what else can you say? It's 41 to 23, guys. It's 41-23 Texas late in the third quarter. And Oklahoma ripped off a 32-7 run to close that game out. And there are a lot of different points of blame. To me, I didn't hear Bijan Robinson's name called nearly enough in the second half for my taste. Their drive chart, Texas second half drives. Three plays, eight plays, three plays, three plays, six plays, six plays. 32-7. That's how that happens uh, in the second half. And so, what do you make of it? Moving forward, what does it mean? Well, I think what it means is there are some good pieces there. The concept is good. Like, the philosophy is good. Sark doesn't have all the players he needs yet. But to me, the net result is it's a bitter pill to swallow. But I think it really gives you a ton of juice in recruiting for Texas to go out and say, listen, it's year one, okay? And that team over there, that we narrowly got beat by. That's a team that a lot of people think can win a title. They've got a several year head start on us. We let them, and the difference is in the second half, if I'm in the living room of a recruit, I'm telling that kid, 
they had more guys like you than we had. We showed you how we can start. You are the kind of kid that can help us finish, and we're gonna get a lot of them just like you. That's what I do with it. That's how I packaged that game up yesterday. Because there's a lot to be proud of, there's a lot to be aggravated about, and you know, the greatest coaching staffs out there, they can harness both, really. They can harness both. Now the question is gonna be, for Oklahoma, you know, they've got, so, so let's talk Texas since the schedule's up. Texas played OU, they get no bye week. They've got Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State off a of bye week, by the way, this week. That's going to be a tough game. Going to be a really tough game. Oklahoma State's undefeated, by the way. Texas incurs their second loss. Uh, it's going to be very tough. How do you get your kids back? How do you get your team back? I'm not a big fan of that scheduling dynamic, to be blatantly honest with you. I don't think the Big 12 cares, but I'm not a big fan of that. But for Oklahoma, I think they got TCU this week. They're an 11.5-point favorite at last check. If I'm right, and if that switch has been flipped, you will see a different Oklahoma team. In fact, if I'm right and I wanted to put my money where my mouth is, I would start betting blindly on Oklahoma minus down the stretch because their spreads in the second half of the season are going to be based on the team they've been so far. If I'm right and they're going to be the team they've been so far plus a bunch, then it stands to reason they should cover these numbers and get some margin on these teams. I'll be really interested to watch that. But what a game. Best college football game I've seen in person. Cannot speak highly enough about the experience and the atmosphere there. I'm going to talk more about that on the Tuesday morning podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Deucible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. Okay, let's, uh, let's close the chapter right there, and let's open a new one. I also had a very interesting experience yesterday with Penn State and Iowa. Penn State was up 17-3. to That's about the time I'm leaving the Cotton Bowl yesterday. So I go to the airport, and right before I'm going to board a flight, I see the end. And I see a 20 spot on the board for Penn State, and I see 23 on the board for Iowa. I, I don't know how it happened. I'm sitting there thinking to myself, 17-3, to all they got to do is, all, they could take knees the rest of the day. Iowa shouldn't be able to catch up and overtake that, but they did. And so, man, mm, 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 Iowa. Every now and then you get one of those teams, and it's like there could be a million stars in the sky, but if you looked up from their campus, you would only see one because every one of those stars is aligned. And that's exactly what's happening with Iowa right now. Don't apologize for it. Don't feel bad about it. I saw some folks criticizing Iowa fans for storming the field. Let me give our Iowa folks a little advice. Number one, don't listen to me, because I've clearly been off on Iowa this year. But number two, don't pay any mind to what anyone else thinks about the way that you support your program and the way that you feel about your program. Look at this scene. If you're, if you're listening on podcast, I want you to imagine about 70,000 people clad in yellow and black on a field after a game. That's what it's all about. Don't apologize for it. The only reason people are a little salty about it is because they themselves can't be in that position. So good for Iowa. Celebrate. When's the last time it felt like this? Chris Hassel and company. When's the last time you felt like this? Lifetimes ago. That's the answer. So absolutely celebrate it. Consider how this game started. I felt so good early on about the way Penn State started. And they started terribly. So early in the game, Sean Clifford throws a pick inside their own 10-yard line, sets Iowa up first and goal. So you got to be thinking at that point, here comes more of the same. Classic Iowa. This stuff only happens for Iowa. And they get a field goal. Okay. There was another turnover, uh, I think, in the first quarter for Penn State. Yet with all that, they led 17-3. to If you told me last week going into Saturday, Penn State's going to get themselves a 17-3 to lead at some point in the first half, I would have said, bar the door. That's it. 
Even if they don't score another point, that'll be good enough. And uh, they almost didn't score another point, and it wasn't good enough. Now, Sean Clifford went down in this game. Uh, it obviously had an impact on the outcome. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I just definitively know that Penn State would have won had Sean Clifford still been in. I do think they would have won by double digits how, had he remained in the game. That's what I think. What I think doesn't matter. I thought Penn State was going to win this game. I thought Iowa State was going to beat Iowa. So I've thought a lot of things about Iowa that have been wrong this year. JP poll out tomorrow, by the way. But the game pretty obviously shifted. I think we can at least all agree with that. Clifford doesn't play defense, though, was the thing that I took away from this. And yesterday, now relative to Iowa, let's just keep that in mind. Yesterday, I think Iowa did some good things offensively. Petrus was 17 of 31, you know, which is not something that you'd be excited about if you were at Oklahoma or Alabama, but, but Iowa's not known for offense this year. He threw it for 195, but he threw for 11.5 yards per completion. They made some big plays through the air when they needed to, and it was in big moments. I caught that touchdown pass, by the way, uh, to Regani about six minutes left in the fourth quarter. If you could just bottle that moment up. If you could bottle up that Spencer Petrus go-ahead touchdown with about six minutes to go in regulation against Penn State when they took the lead for good, and you could just bottle that up, and you could put it into liquid form, and you could inject that into someone's veins, I don't think anyone would ever die again. I think our average life expectancy would be like 400 years old. It would be Methuselah style. I think we could live forever. That kind of adrenaline, from Gus Johnson in the booth to obviously the players on the field to Kinnick Stadium, which went on to single-handedly rip any shot Penn State had of coming back out from their clutches. What an environment. What an adrenaline-fueled few minutes that ended that game. And it culminated, of course, with the post-game scene on the field. It could be that you live the rest of your life if you're an Iowa Hawkeye fan and you never experience a moment that emotionally charged again. Just incredible. That's why I always tell you guys, this stuff, this college football stuff, it's about Saturdays and it's about moments. It's not about some postseason game off in some NFL dome a thousand miles away from your campus. It's about Saturdays in the fall, those kinds of moments. You can live a hundred years. You may never experience anything like that again. The takeaway moving forward, though, is I've talked to several of our Penn State folks. I was going back and forth some today on Twitter with some Penn State folks who said, well, shame on James Franklin. And I said, why is that, friend? Why is it shame on James Franklin? Well, he didn't have a backup quarterback ready. Well, he did. Uh, maybe you missed it. He beat, uh, who do you, yeah, he beat South, he beat LSU yesterday. Like, shame on James Franklin. He didn't have a backup quarterback ready. Yeah, he did. He, the kid beat LSU yesterday. He plays for Kentucky. That's where the backup quarterback went. And so you're using your third string quarterback. Yeah, but shame on him for not going in the transfer portal and getting a kid because he knew, as should any coach worth his salt, that we could be in this position. We could lose our starter. Yeah, he knew it. That's part one of the equation. Bad things could happen. But your part two is what I want to focus on for a second. Shame on James Franklin for not having a backup quarterback. Well, he did. We've established that. Will Levis transferred. So you're really talking about shame on James Franklin for not having a third string quarterback in the house prepared to go on the road and beat Iowa. And your response to that, to a large degree, has been he should have leveraged the portal. To which my response has been, who are we talking about? Which player? We all saw the portal. We all know it's pretty well publicized which quarterbacks were out there. So who are we talking about? Who could, who could Penn State have gotten? T.J. Finley? Is that who they would have gotten? T.J. Finley, is that the kid that's going to go into Iowa and beat them? Oh, by the way, could you have convinced T.J. Finley to come to campus? Now, I'm, not, I'm not speaking in an informed manner. I'm telling you, I'm just pulling a name out of the hat. The answer is, they have the best quarterback roster they could have. There wasn't an option out there. The transfer portal is not a grocery store. I don't know if people have realized this. You can't just go in and grab whatever you want to. It's more like a Venezuelan grocery store. You walk in, and the shelves are largely bare, and there's like one brand of toilet paper over here, and the government owns it, and if you don't like it, tough. That's kind of how it is shopping for quarterbacks in the portal. Every now and then you strike gold. But by and large, it's Let's go in there. I don't really feel great about our prospects, especially if we're not looking for a starter. That's the key, guys. You weren't going in there looking for a kid because Sean Clifford was leaving. You were looking for someone because his backup left. What's the selling point that you're going to use to convince a kid that is starting caliber to come to Penn State? It, it wasn't in the cards, is my point.
So your best shot now is to get as healthy as you can because they lost some players yesterday. Get as healthy as you can in this bye week. Penn State can absolutely still accomplish every goal they have set out in front of them. There are no unbeatens in this sport this year. I was talking to someone earlier today about this. Sometimes it takes a while for us to shake the years past. 2019 LSU conditioned you. 2020 Alabama conditioned you. And it conditioned you to think as soon as any other team out there shows even the slightest hint of vulnerability, not even to mention a loss, throw them on the scrap heap. Because we think you have to be so good to win a title that if you dare lose a game, there's no way you're capable of it. This is not 2019. There is not a Joe Burrow-led LSU team out there. There is not a 2020 Bama out there this year. The team that's going to end up winning a title or the teams that are going to be there at the end are the ones that respond the best to tasting their own blood, oftentimes in the form of a loss. All Penn State did yesterday was lose a game. If you had 1 through 10 on a grease board in their locker room, their goals for 2021, none of them got erased, short of going undefeated, short of beating Iowa. None of them got erased yesterday. For all you know, they may see them again. Who knows? No one knows how the season's going to play out. It's a challenge right now. they got to buy at the perfect time. they got to get Sean Clifford back. Don't have an update on him right now. But Penn State still has it to do. Iowa, however, they are now undefeated still. They are cruising right along still. But as I have continued to tell you, in the odds-making community, for whatever that's worth to you at this point, they are not going to view this undefeated as they would most undefeateds. And the case in point is this week's spread. Purdue is not a good team. They are coming to Iowa. Iowa opened as like an 11 or 11 and a half point favorite. I mean, that's, that's the way it is right now with Iowa. Doesn't matter. Keep winning games. Doesn't matter. Uh, I got several more games to get to. Okay, so yesterday there were some really, really big time games in a lot of conferences that kind of got masked because of what was going on and just the insanity that was going on nationally. But I wanted to touch on several of them here. Georgia goes into Auburn yesterday. Let's just call it like it is. Georgia beat Auburn 34 to 10 with backup parts. That's how good Georgia is right now. Not invincible, but really good. Probably going to be our number one in the country tomorrow. I think it's pretty safe to say on the JP poll. But they suffocated Auburn in Jordan-Hare Stadium, which historically has been a really hard place to play for them. And they do it with backup parts. JT Daniels is not available. Don't care. Just throw Stetson Bennett at him. Jermaine Burton, not available. That's all right. Lad McConkey will just go off. Had uh, five catches, 135 yards, touchdown. Doesn't matter. They had uh, Kenny McIntosh out yesterday. Doesn't matter. You know why? Because we can play defense. Auburn uh, put 10 on the board yesterday, and there were some people mildly surprised they scored 10. So, yeah, that's where Georgia is right now. Their schedule is what it is. What I'm excited to see, and I don't know if I would tell you if you're a fan of these teams to be excited, but what I will be excited to see is as you look at their future schedule, they got Kentucky this week. I don't like Kentucky's chances. So much so that we're not going to the game. We chose an alternate game. But that's why they play the game, so we'll see. But after that, they do play Tennessee, which can at least uh, complete a forward pass or two on you. They do play Florida. Uh, you have never seen a team in Super Bowl mode, more than Florida will be for Georgia. And then that's probably about it before the SEC championship game. So are we really going to go wire to wire with Georgia having no firm challenge in the regular season in conference? Remains to be seen. I tend to believe there's got to be a game out there. Probably going to be one of those two if there are one or if there is one. But Georgia, a different level right now than anyone they've played. That's pretty clear. Now you start to get Kirby Smart in a situation he's never been before. And his team's never been in this situation. To taste that rarefied air of being considered the best team in the country, not one of, they're going to be told they're the best team in the country, and it is right now October 10th. So that's going to go on for a couple of months. How will they handle it? I don't know. Does Kirby Smart know? I, don't, I, I know he will try and handle it the right way. But it's, it, it, that exclusivity, even though it really doesn't mean anything, it's just words coming out of people's mouths, that has a funny effect, team to team. Sometimes it doesn't matter at all. Sometimes you watch a game on Saturday, and it's so apparent by the first part of the second quarter, this team's been reading their own press clippings. We'll just see how they handle it. I mean, it shouldn't be a problem. They've been at the table for a little while now. What about Ole Miss? Poor Arkansas scores 51, and it wasn't enough. 52 to 51. Yet another instant classic. Just, just a ho-hum 52 to 51 thriller here. 
Let me throw a little transitive scenario at you. This is great. There was a transitive property out there today that proved how Vandy, I think, is better than Alabama. And it threw San Jose State in there, Colorado State, crazy. In fact, I'm going to try and look that up for you before the end of the show. I know who tweeted it out, and I'm going to try and look it up for you before the end of the show. Okay, we'll see. Anyway, how about this for you? So follow me here because it's a very tangled spider web. Alabama shut down Ole Miss. Just saw it last week. So Alabama shuts down Ole Miss, but then they get beat last night by Zach Calzada. The same Zach Calzada that got shut down by Arkansas, which just got splattered by Ole Miss yesterday. Well, they didn't get splattered. They get shredded because it was only a one-point game. Point is, those are the ingredients of a renaissance season. That's when you know things are crazy. There is no order. There is no flow chart. It's just hit the reset button, and every week is going to give you a different set of results that are individualized, and they make no sense week to week relatively. This is tough to swallow, though. K.J. Jefferson played out of his mind yesterday. Arkansas quarterback, for those unfamiliar, 25 of 35, 326 through the air, three touchdowns. He wasn't done. Then on the ground, he had 85 yards and another three touchdowns. So he had six by himself, and they lost because Lane Kiffin and the Ole Miss Rebels, as sure as they couldn't run it against Alabama, chugged for 324 on the ground yesterday. And that is Ole Miss at their best. Yeah, they can throw the ball, but they run it. And when they are achieving at their highest level, that's what they're doing. They're running off chunk play after chunk play on you. Ole Miss travels to Tennessee Saturday. It is a primetime game. We are going to be there. And Ole Miss is favored by three and a half on the road in Neyland Stadium. Enjoy. Huge get for SEC Network. I don't know how you guys pulled that. Huge get. Kentucky makes relatively easy work, in fact, suspiciously easy work of LSU, 42 to 21. Now, here's the good news. I am not wholly negative with LSU. They ran for 147 yards yesterday, which for LSU is like running to Egypt. That's the good news. The bad news is they gave up 330 on the ground, and that is good for 7.3 yards per carry for Kentucky. And if you're running it for 7.3 yards per carry, you don't really have to do a whole lot of other things. You can just keep doing that one thing that's working over and over for you. I think someone could probably stand to call Bill O'Brien at Alabama and tell him that when they get down to the red zone, couldn't they? This is the first 6-0 start for Kentucky since 1950. What were you doing in 1950? Colin? Anyone? No. Most of you weren't here. First 6-0 start since 1950. LSU lost Keishon Boutte. We don't have an update on that. Uh, a lot of guys with varying degree of injury are probably going to start opting out of the season for LSU. I'll leave that there. I think we all know what's going on with that. But I am not sure this changed anything. You're looking at the SEC East standings. I mean, for Kentucky now. I'm, not, I'm talking about for LSU. For Kentucky, it changes a lot. I mean, they're, it's sitting there tied for first. You can call them second if you want to. They're tied for first. And we'll obviously solve that this Saturday when they play in Athens against Georgia. But for LSU... I think a lot of folks thought last night, well, if they lose, this is it. No, it was it before they lost. As we told you, if they would have won last night, it would have still been it. Got news for you. Having said that, there was some thought out there that if last night were to just totally go off the rails and it was 42 to nothing at halftime, that maybe, no, no, maybe Woodward and company, maybe they make a move down there. Well, yeah, 42 to 21 is nothing to write home about, but it could have been a lot worse, I guess is the best thing we can say. So it doesn't look like Keep refreshing my feet over here. Doesn't look like anything's going to happen with Ed Orgeron today, but I feel like that's fairly inevitable. I really do wonder, I was talking with someone on the phone today, I really do wonder how much support Ed Orgeron has at LSU behind the scenes. There's always someone. Now, it is an overwhelming supermajority down there that are rooting for, again, what I think is inevitable at this point, but there's always someone. I just wonder if there are, and if there are, how many. And that's an open-ended question. Anyone wants to answer, feel free. Also, Tennessee, I wanted to touch on them right quick. They beat South Carolina 45-20. Tennessee uh, is obliterating people in the first half over the last couple of weeks. Listen to this number. I think it was Wes Rucker that put this out on Vols 24-7. So Tennessee's played Missouri on the road and then South Carolina last couple of weeks. They have scored 83 combined first half points in those games. So that doesn't leave much to the imagination of what the rest of the game holds. Josh Heupel, to his credit, he, he's not uh, in a breaking-in period. He is not in a feeling-out period. He's not easing his way into anything. Josh Heupel walked up to the birthday party and screamed cannonball. And that's Tennessee right now. 
They are full throttle, and you may beat them 62 to 35, but they're going to hang 35 on you. And the last couple of weeks, it's been the inverse. It's been Tennessee pulling away. I want to ask you a question that we cannot answer right now. How do you think the SEC East stacks up behind Georgia? Do you think it's as simple as looking at the league standings? Do you think Kentucky is the second best team in the East? Do you think it's Florida? Well, I want to ask you, where does Tennessee rank? Let's power rate the SEC East. And not just now, but where will it be, let's say, four weeks from now? Because Tennessee's got a stretch coming up. They play Ole Miss Saturday. They got to play on the road at Bama. Got to do it every year. They go to Kentucky, and uh, they go against Georgia. So they got some tough games coming up. But I'm fascinated by that game at Kentucky. I think Tennessee could end up being the third best team in the East. I don't know what Florida's going to do the rest of the way. But Florida already played Kentucky and made easy work of them. Or played, um, played Tennessee and made easy work of them. So I am very interested whether this is a, a new gear being hit by Tennessee or whether it's just them getting fat on inferior competition. We'll see. Uh, at least to some degree, Saturday against Ole Miss. So that's a little trip around the SEC. Uh, but obviously, outside the SEC, there were some big games yesterday in addition to what we've already talked about. How about Michigan? This 32-29 win in Lincoln, Nebraska, which was on someone's radar and off someone's radar. It depends on who you are, but it's a brutal loss for Nebraska. They've come a long way, I really think this, since week one. This is a much better team than we saw lose to Illinois. Their past three losses to Oklahoma, Michigan State, and Michigan have come by a combined 13 points. That is brutal. You feel like you're the whole so close yet so far away deal. But that's a credit to Scott Frost. Depending on your stature, you don't always have to win to show improvement. They have showed improvement in losses, significant improvement, I would say. Michigan faced some new things here yesterday. To talk about the winning team for a second, they had not trailed and they had not thrown an interception. Like they did some things at the least opportune time in front of like 87,000 fans yesterday that made it really difficult to operate. They did some things. Nebraska did some things offensively, but Michigan still overcame it. I think Harbaugh said something post-game like, we would just not be denied. Well, good. Good. Sounds a little, little cliche, but good. Because that's exactly what it should be for Michigan. It's an excellent night for the defensive line last night. Also, I think their offense is rounding into a little bit more balanced version that could pay better dividends for you down the road. That formula they were using earlier in the season was going to end up hitting a brick wall. And so Cade McNamara, they made some plays yesterday, and it's really good. So now they have a secondary pitch they can use. So Michigan wins 32-29, and it continues to set up what at this point look like almost inevitable Titanic showdowns down the road. I'm going to talk about Michigan State in a second, but I mean, we're getting closer and closer to a world where those two meet undefeated. That's only a couple of weeks away. I think October 30th is when they play. There's a game off the radar here. i got to talk about it for a couple of minutes. You know Florida State beat North Carolina by double digits yesterday? Say that five times fast. And then call yourself in August and tell your August self that five times fast. North Carolina goes down 35-25 to 25 at the hands of Florida State. I don't know what to make of North Carolina. That's got to be the most disappointing team in the country. And they haven't lost their starting quarterback for the year or anything like that. That's, that, that would be one explainer. Mac Brown... After their game yesterday, he said, paraphrasing of course, he said something to the degree of, well, I guess this shows that all of the preseason predictions and pundits, you guys blew it, which is true. That's my line. I use it all the time. So shame on Mac Brown for stealing my line. One of my pet peeves is everyone gets to issue rankings, and then when the teams don't live up to your rankings, you get to call them overrated, even though you did the rating. Well, Mac Brown took that tone yesterday. Here's the problem. I, obviously they were overrated. I think people had reason to rate North Carolina high. They didn't put them top five, but you had 21 starters coming back from a team that went to the Orange Bowl last year, including a future NFL quarterback, or at least that's what he was sold to us as, in Sam Howell. And it, they're not asking you to go beat Clemson, Mac. I mean, we're talking about Georgia Tech. We're talking about yesterday, Florida State, uh, which, which it's not, I don't think that's a Herculean task to expect this team to be able to accomplish. And yet they've fallen short. Florida State went on a 35-7 run in this game. The Florida State Seminoles went on a 35-7 run to close it out. Mike Norvell, I'm going to give him credit. I know he's got his doubters and detractors. 
I think he's very realistic about where they are. Behind the scenes, but out in front too. I think he's very realistic. He has not come down there and preached, we're about to win a title. He's preached the fundamentals and he's preached the principles that a successful championship team is built on, but those things are still being installed and instilled. I think that's the reason that a lot of folks down there have been willing to give him some space. Maybe the message boards don't, maybe talk radio doesn't, but I think the people who matter have taken a healthy inventory and listened to his inventory, and when he tells them it's going to take a couple of years, they're going to give him a couple of years. So all that talk in the preseason about, well, what if it really bottoms out? Is there a point of no return? No, not this year. There's not. Down the road, there will be. But good for Mike Norvell. His, his message has been consistent. Now, I'll say this. A lot of people know the right things to say. Can you put into practice 1 to 85 what you preach? That's the hard part. The hard part is putting that in the minds of a bunch of other people. I hope he can. Remains to be seen. But at the very least, big credit because this is, again, it's a team that could lie down, and they're not doing that. And in fact, the team that has no business doing it in North Carolina is kind of doing it a little bit more than Florida State is. So good for Mike Norvell, good for Florida State. Notre Dame won another game by a field goal, 32-29. They go into Virginia Tech, and credit Notre Dame, because this was not an easy bounce back for them either. But they beat the Hokies 32-29. The direct quote from Brian Kelly after this game was, we're stringing this together as best we can. Which is not exactly something that leaves me brimming with confidence about the rest of the season. But listen, these wins, you cannot take them away. And they've had several games like this now. You can't take the wins away. So congratulations, because I don't know if you guys missed it. Some of you probably did because of all the other craziness going on. That place was on fire last night. Lane Stadium was on fire. When Notre Dame comes in there, you don't get many cracks at them in your building. So everyone circles that one. So it was, it was wild. And they played multiple quarterbacks. I mean, Jack Cohn starts the game. Then he gets benched for Tyler Buckner, who's probably the future of Notre Dame as a true freshman. And then Buckner needs to be relieved. And Jack Cohn comes back in, and all he did was win the game for him. And afterwards, Brian Kelly issues the aforementioned quote of, well, we're stringing this together as best we can. Look, they're squeezing everything they can out of this year's team. And credit to them for doing it. This is not a team that is quite to the caliber of the last couple that they've had. But I'll tell you what this does do, because they played a whole bunch of young kids yesterday. They did what Bama's about to have to do, I think, to maximize their potential. They played some of their young kids, and Tyler Buckner at quarterback was among them. And so, yeah, you get whatever you can out of 2021, but I guarantee there's going to come a week in 2022 where you're watching it, and those same young kids that got their feet wet yesterday and, and an extremely hard place to play are going to be making plays for you next year on a more consistent basis, and you're going to say... Man, I'm glad they got snaps last year. Man, I'm glad they got their feet wet last year. Man, I'm glad we're not having to break him, 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 and him in this year. It'll pay. It'll pay itself off down the road. But this was a good win for them. Michigan State won again. And it wasn't as close as that point spread indicated it would be. Michigan State was favored by about five to six points over Rutgers. They won 31 to 13. It's time to start taking them a little bit more seriously if you haven't been already. They're still undefeated. But here's why you need to start taking them a little more seriously. Let me give you an example. So Jalen Naylor yesterday had five receptions for 221 yards. Obviously, that's a pretty good average per catch. He had three touchdowns. He had three touchdown grabs of 63, 63, and 65 yards. And Michigan State didn't stop there. This was, according to the AP, the fifth time in FBS history that a team had 300 yards passing, a 200-yard rusher, and a 200-yard individual receiver. What I'm telling you is Michigan State is not clunking their way to close wins. They've got explosive play potential. Some of these guys are transfers. There was no program in major college football that went harder in the transfer market, or at least there were few that went as hard as Michigan State did this past year because they weren't building for five years down the road. Mel Tucker wanted to win now. They're winning now. And it, what it does is it widens their margin for error. Like Michigan State right now, they don't have to go in and play razor tight every time or else they'll lose, you know, 21-19. You make plays like they can. Kenneth Walker, one of the best backs in the sport right now. Naylor, like guys like that, I don't think a lot of America knows about quite yet. You may know about Kenneth Walker, but I don't think a lot of people know Michigan State is starting to develop that explosive play potential. That's going to be big. Right now, 
They've got a dangerous game this week. Okay, so I want you to get ready for this. Indiana is a team you've already sold down the river, and, and you've sold all your stock in Indiana. Well, Indiana, what they do yesterday? Anyone remember? They didn't do anything. They went home to see mom. They were off. They had a buy. Whatever you see from Indiana this Saturday will probably be the game of the year performance from them. And Michigan State is going to their house. The spread is three and a half. And here's the kicker. This is the last game before Michigan plays or Michigan State plays Michigan. And everyone knows it. Indiana knows it too. So just have a little eye on that game. Our model, screaming Indiana. It thinks Indiana's going to win the game outright. Spoiler alert. So it's dangerous. But again, you got some explosive play potential about yourself. Michael Penix, who knows what his status is with Indiana. You can win every game you play. Well, to a certain extent. You're going to give yourself a lot better opportunity to do it. All right, let's get a best bet out there. Um, I have been advised by someone who shall remain nameless, to just leave the Pac-12 alone. The Pac-12 is the most unpredictable conference in America this year. Yeah, it may be. But look, numbers are numbers. And so there's a game, I just mentioned Indiana, but I'm not moving on them yet. There's a game that we love. It's our early best bet, and it is Arizona. Plus five and a half. There are sixes out there right now, too. But when I handed it out, to be fair earlier, I said five and a half. So our first best bet on the Ramen Noodle Express for this week is Arizona. Plus five and a half, they're on the road at Colorado. And again, if you're waiting until tonight to move on that, it actually is out there at six at some places. So that's where we are. I think we're going to have some serious movement before Tuesday. So be sure you're following on Twitter and Instagram, at Late Kick Josh. I got to tell you something. So I'm, that's me. I'm done with the show now. I got to tell you something. I'm going to tell the entire story Tuesday. This weekend was both one of the greatest weekends in college football that I've experienced and one of the worst weekends in terms of travel. I could not get a rental car because Dallas was out. The entire city of Dallas, it might as well be an island you can't get off of right now. I know people who are still stuck there. So there are no rental cars in Dallas. Oh well, man has faced tougher challenges. So I flew into Austin, beautiful city, right? So I flew in Friday. And I'm going to drive up to Dallas Friday night. Like, this is fine, Colin, right? So there I am, puttering along a little bit faster than I should have been going, but certainly within the realm of what those cars can handle. And there goes the entire sidewall of my tire. When I say the tire blew, I do not mean I ran over a nail. I mean the the entire sidewall of the tire blew to the point where there's a hole big enough in it you can stick your arm in. And I don't even care how much you work out your arm would go in the hole on the side of that tire. I am on I-35 North. It is Waco, Texas. It is in the middle of the night. And there's not a light to be found. I don't know if you know this about Waco, but it gets really dark there at night. Suspiciously dark. I would say darker maybe than it should have been. And so uh, there I am. I got a suitcase on the side of I-35. The iJosh is propped up on the suitcase with the flashlight on. And I am changing a rental car tire. Now I got lucky. Because there was a spare tire in the rental car. A lot of times, as you guys know who travel a lot, they don't normally have rentals with spare tires. So I get it changed. But I didn't end up having it the worst because as I told you, Southwest has like a quarter to half of its flights canceled right now. So last night, I am in the Southwest terminal at Dallas Love. There are like two people in the security line to get in the airport. It was a ghost town. It was very weird. Because it's easy to get in. I go in in like two seconds. But then you get in the terminal, and it's wall to wall. There are people in there that are asleep on the ground, and I figure, I didn't see any thunderstorms. Maybe there's bad weather somewhere. Nope, no bad weather. There are some extenuating circumstances, and that's as far as I'll go, because someone's going to politicize this. But there's some things happening in the aviation world right now that have caused a lot of people to not show up for work. There were two flights that got out of that place last night. One of them went to New Orleans. And the other one came to Nashville, Tennessee. And so I waved goodbye as I took off from Dallas to several people I know still there. As we speak tonight, they're still there. Won't get out of there at least until tomorrow. I talked to a couple who deserve a ton of praise. Number one, because they're getting married on a Sunday in the fall. And number two, uh, they were at serious risk of not making it to their own wedding. And so I hope they made it. I was talking to the guy and the girl last night. I hope they made it. But either way, bless you for not scheduling a Saturday wedding. Can you imagine? There there are people out there suffering, guys. 
And by suffering, I mean there were people at weddings yesterday when all this stuff was going on in college football. So if you got to witness it, consider yourself among the blessed and the wise. Maybe not in that order. Thank you so much for watching. Make sure you're following on Twitter and Instagram, at LateKickJosh. Thank you so much to Director Colin and our entire crew in both Fort Lauderdale and Connecticut. I'm Josh Pate. Have yourselves a great start to the week, and God bless. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.